Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. What do we watch? Uh, tonight we watched Enough Rope, a 1960 made-for-TV movie on NBC that introduced the famed character of Lieutenant Columbo. I know you've often said that your big problem with Columbo was that the lead character was just too charismatic, <laughs> too interesting, had too much of a personality. Well, let's... So if so, we've got some good news. <laughs> let's back it up a little bit. You're coming right out the gate. Okay. You gotta play it like Columbo. You gotta ease into okay, it. I'm sorry. Hit him with one last devastating question that breaks the whole thing open. <laughs> oh 
my <laughs> first of all what what was this and how did we see it uh the ucla television archive was streaming uh an episode of the chevy mystery hour which was a 1960 short-lived series which is kind of an anthology program where each week they'd have a different one-off mystery uh this particular episode enough rope was uh <clears throat> also thanks to ucla for showing us cool stuff <laughs> yes this particular episode enough rope was written by william uh richard levinson and william link yeah First came out July 31st, 1960. Uh, from what they said and from what I understand, it's not really readily available. So pretty cool that we got to see it. The, uh, the genesis of Lieutenant Columbo. This is the first time the character appears. Yes. On screens, on the small screen. And uh, he would later be played more famously by Mr. Peter Falk. That's correct. That's who everyone knows. That's who everyone loves. And it, with his rumpled raincoat and his... his uh, confusion but uh this was this is where it all started <laughs> and his charm and is one more thing yes very interesting very beloved he's a great character yes we love him dearly this was <laughs> interesting to see yes it, it's it's interesting uh i'm someone who tends to put a lot of value on the script of a program I think this shows that uh, the acting and the casting of a television program is really crucial. Because I thought the script for this particular telecast was fine. The script was fine. Yeah, I think I think with TV especially, we I need I need to I need to glom onto some but uh, something. And and you know you don't it could be you're so intense the character's so intense or whatever or the performance but you know. With 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 Columbo, what you're glomming onto is his charm. So, um, in this, the character is not really allowed to be that charming, and and the actor playing him is is leaning far less into that than Peter Falk later does. So the the sort of central tension of Columbo later on is, oh, this kind of scruffy guy is all you know. You know, he seems kind of so absent minded, like he can't remember anything, but he's actually really cunning and smart, and he's gonna trick you into confessing to murder. A very well planned murder, but he's gonna he's gonna be the nail in your coffin. And in this, it's more of like, oh, he's just a he's just a cop doing his job. <laughs> yeah. Nothing really special uh, about no. him. He didn't seem like a classic character. I'm not even sure if I was an executive if I would say, you know what, I want to see a series about this character. Oh, I definitely wouldn't. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, okay. I I would be like, oh, good creative murder, you know. But anyway, let's get into the plot. So actually, before we go, who is Bert Freed played uh, Columbo in this? Uh, the, this story was reused in a play that Levinson and Link uh, later wrote about the character, ah. called Prescription Murder. And then that play was the basis for the first TV movie with Peter Falk in the role. And of course, Levinson and Link are well-known television writers. They did a lot of uh, great issue-oriented programs in TV movies such as the, the Execution of Private Slovak, which was uh, the true story about the one American soldier who was shot for desertion by his own side during World War II. Pretty good movie. Wow. It's intense. Yeah. Um, so so uh, this, this uh, crime or this, this central plot 
opens up with a a wife bursting into her psychologist husband's workplace and kind of uh, prattling on prattling on at him basically uh, talking about her shopping safari. You, you, you can obviously tell they don't get along. He's all pissed off that she's there. And you're like, okay, one of these two people is definitely going to get murdered. <laughs> this is an unhappy couple at the start of a Columbo episode. Somebody's getting murdered. We're going to follow the murderer and then switch over to Columbo, basically, at some point. And she's played by the actress, of course, who uh, we best know for her role is Sergeant Carter's girlfriend on uh, Gomer Pyle. Yes, I definitely know what that is. <laughs> You, you love Gomer. She's left Gomer, and now she's with this psychologist. She's, she's Sergeant Carter's girlfriend. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. She's not Bunny. Oh, of course not. Not Bunny. You're not familiar with Gomer Pyle? No. Not 100 years old. Well, we have some TV watching. Oh, go. God. What have I done? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, basically, this psychologist... Turns out he uh, is cheating with a patient named Mrs. Hudson, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes's beloved landlady, <laughs> is a a floozy. Uh, is cheating, and basically, um, you know, he he feels that his wife will never give him a divorce, and so he's gonna kill her to be with Mrs. Hudson or Miss Hudson, whatever. <laughs> and I, I say I found it very distracting. That the actor who played the doctor, to me, he looked an awful lot like mid-80s era Phil Hartman, who was a, a great uh, performer on Saturday Night Live. And on Saturday Night Live, he'd often do these old-timey sketches where he'd portray like an old-fashioned actor being overly dramatic. And so I kept on expecting this actor who was striking all these facial poses <laughs> that were overly dramatic to launch into like a Phil Hartman-esque uh, comedy sketch. And to my sorrow, <laughs> he did not. never happened. He did have a lot of expressions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he was not afraid to use those. <laughs> you almost expected like sound effects to be... <laughs> what? Huh? Huh? Oh, God. <laughs> not have a poker face, this guy. No, no. He would lose a lot of money. Um, and... You know, so the husband's getting ready to kill his wife. And we know it's Columbo, so he's going to have some crazy setup to get away with it. Oh, and by the way, this is kind of a fun treat. The UCLA people, instead of just having, like, normal commercial breaks, they, like, pulled black and white commercials from the time period and, like, put them in to, like, simulate a real broadcast from the time. And so we got all these fucking weird 1960s people being like... Well, do you want to talk about the Crest commercials? Okay, let's talk about the Crest commercials. The Crest extended universe, as I like to call it. Um, because first we get one Crest commercial, and then, like, every other commercial was Crest. I guess you'd sponsor, like, the entire show. These commercials were so weird. It was, like, this guy stalking different families who participated in a long-ago Crest trial to, like, get information about how their teeth were. It was a little ominous. And he had a big movie projector that he'd brought to their homes where after he said oh hey billy did you do this crest study oh i i hope you had mom's permission and then they would say well let's watch a film about this crest study and then we, he'd uh start unrolling did odd. you know the crest test team got 34 percent fewer cavities than the 
control well, group. Well, you know, Crest is the only toothpaste with Floristan. And then Kevin's, like, hat blew off and his, like, he jumped out of his boots because it turned out they were doing these studies at Indiana University because they mentioned that. One of the guys was there, so... That's a personal connection there. Yeah, my alma mater, Indiana University, well known for our toothpaste studies. <laughs> These Hoosiers have terrible teeth. <laughs> they were trying to help them. <laughs> I noticed that <laughs> there was no mention of William and Mary. Yeah, everyone just because, gets... Because nobody at William and Mary has any teeth at all. We get... They're a bunch of toothless hicks. We get just dentures. <laughs> They just give, like, George Washington. The wooden teeth. Um, oh, yeah. And then, and then like, ladies talking about starch at some point. So the commercials were actually pretty fun, I thought. The, the, this was before Mad Men. This was before they really knew how to make commercials. It was just, like, some guy, like, pops up on your screen and starts lecturing you about how to, like, get what kind of toothpaste to get or what kind of starch to get. And as long as we're talking about them not really knowing how to do things quite yet. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the host of the program? So his name was Walter Slezak. Yes. Uh, so I don't know who the fuck this guy is because <laughs> I'm I'm not old, and I am also ignorant. So I don't know who this fellow is. Um, what I saw was an older man with kind of a puffy face, looking very sleepy and or kind of drunk, in a red jacket with a skinny tie, smoking and being like, "Ha ha! What's gonna happen next?" <laughs> And it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> thanks, someone's grandpa. What the heck was that? Who is he? So let me ask you this. Let's say that uh, Law & Order SVU had a host. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Well, it would have... Well, tell me what that hosting thing would be like. What it would add to the program. It would have to be Ice-T, obviously. He's already the host of uh, In Ice Cold Blood on ID Network. Great show. And he'd just come in and be like, you know, here's what happened. And, like, I was there. And, like, walk out. Like, this is a pretty special story about, you know, doing the right thing. <laughs> Even when your friends don't think you should. Like, you know, I don't know. I think that would be delightful. You think TV shows have lost something now that we no longer have hosts? Yeah, we don't have some random asshole just showing up and interrupting things. <laughs> You have to you have to tell a coherent story instead of trying to pad things out. I mean, the thing is, like a lot of TV just sucks anyway. So, like, why not why not really add to the craziness by having a a weird uh, half asleep host? What show do you think most needs a host today? SVU would be funny. Or Dick Wolf comes out. Hello, everyone. I'm Dick Wolf. With this episode, we tried to show like, oh god, it would be so cringe. It'd be amazing. <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> So back to this murder. Uh, the couple is getting, this married couple that hate each other, they're getting ready to go away. And, um, you know, the husband is clearly trying to, you know, get ready to kill her, basically. <laughs> so how does he do that, Kevin? Yeah, he strangles her. Yeah. And then he um, basically stages a robbery. The girlfriend comes in, disguises herself as the wife. He takes some of their belongings with him in his luggage. And the girlfriend goes with him to the plane. And then she is dressed as his uh, wife, whom she in no way resembles. And then, oddly enough, at the airport, they run into, uh, the couple run into a friend. And he, the friend, says, oh, that's, that's your missus. I can identify her. Yep, that's your wife, all right. 
And uh, and to, to be clear, she's wearing a big hat and sunglasses. I couldn't really see a huge difference. They're both blonde ladies. They kind of okay. <laughs> blurred in together for me. You think all big-hatted sunglasses wearing women look alike? We're blondes. Pretty judgmental. Uh, that's because I'm a big hat wearing sunglasses wearing blonde lady. <laughs> I can say those things. But if I said it, you'd slap me in the face. That's true. I would probably slap you in the face anyway, in fairness. I'm a lucky man. You're very slappable. <laughs> and, um, you know, so part of the plan is uh, now in motion. As they're sitting waiting to take off, the girlfriend, disguised as this dude's wife, gets into this big fake fight with the psychologist. And she storms off the plane. He stays on the plane. So therefore, it looks like she, she's still in town. He's out of town. He's got himself an alibi. And so then when he comes back to town, he will learn about the murder. And he has the perfect alibi. Quick interjection to note that there was an incredible commercial here where it was just a guy walking down the street and the narrator saying, this guy's average build, average looks, average height. And it was about Vaseline and it was very funny. <laughs> it was like, just, like part of it cut out for us because there was like a weird buffering thing. So I just thought the commercial just basically ended as like, this guy's totally mediocre. What an asshole. All right, enjoy the program, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the commercial was to put like a Vaseline product in your hair if you're a man. Want to look like you've never taken a shower in your life? <laughs> Douse your hair in Vaseline oil. <laughs> Please don't do that, Kevin. Why not? Please don't do that. Isn't that your secret? Dousing my hair in Vaseline? Yeah, if not, what, what is that dripping from your hair? Like duck fat? You don't want to know. <laughs> Leaves no, an awful stain on the floor. You're not Columbo. You don't get to ask me those <laughs> questions. <laughs> And, um, yeah, so it's kind of weird because how, how did the police get called over this? Oh, the maid discovers her, right? Because they maid, set up yeah. a time for the maid to come. Yeah, the maid discovers the body. And so when, she, when this guy, doctor, gets to the apartment after his big trip, Columbo's there waiting for him. He's there. He's just, I didn't even know he was Columbo at first because I'm so used to Peter Falk. You said, you said to me, that's not Columbo, is it? And I had to break the news to you that it was. What was this Columbo like? Uh, he was kind of boring. I'm not going to lie. He was a little bit boring. A little bit? He was pretty boring. You know? I did, He just seemed kind of like a kind of aggressive cop. He didn't have a lot of, like, charm. He was pretty rough around the edges as a character. Um, and, and as a result, it wasn't as interesting to watch him work and piece things together. I think part of what made the... Peter Falk character so fun is that he's doing basically the most aggressive thing you can do, which is try to pin a murder on somebody. <laughs> like, it doesn't get, other than, like, trying to kill somebody, that's probably one of the top aggressive things you can do to somebody. But he's so charming. He's so absent-minded. He's so likable. He's so daffy. And, and he, he looks harmless. And so there's the tension between his surface and what he's presenting and how he's interacting with the world and the, and the people that he's trying to bust basically. And then what he's actually doing. He's a, he's a snake in the grass. And I think that's really fun. But this guy is just more of like very out in the open. Thinks this guy, <laughs> thinks this psychologist did it. And it's like, okay. 
What did you think? The character had no personality or charm. Uh, I thought the actor was bad. He just didn't do much with it. Also, it was just speaking of the acting, they kept on flubbing lines, and I was like, damn, they couldn't just do another take, but this was live TV, right? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it better have been. They'd be like, uh, you know, like Sergeant, like, like <laughs> Sergeant Bill, I mean, Columbo. <laughs> yes, I, I, I thought the actor was Susan, I mean, Gladys, like, <laughs> Dr. Columbo, I mean, Lieutenant Columbo. Was there anything you liked about this portrayal of Columbo? Hmm. I like that this didn't kill the character. <laughs> and that they gave it another chance down the road. You know, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, there was not a lot to, to love here. I, I enjoyed seeing this because I thought it was a kind of, you know, it was a it was fun mystery. But it was also fun to see the character at this kind of primitive stage. But he's unfinished at this point it, it very very much feels unfinished and it also feels like a a live tv movie you know it's a little more like high pressure like you need like you need to have a tv show for colombo i think and he was very much a supporting character i think he was third build and you know you don't necessarily uh, expect the third build performer in a program to be a really good actor or a really interesting character you kind of expect him to be an also ran yeah, Phil Phil Hartman was really dominating things. Yeah, and not in a good way. Huh? <laughs> His big faces. Um so the quickly the, the the criminals in this quickly realized they made a mistake, as criminals are wont to do. Girlfriend accidentally held on to the hat and suit. Um, or rather, just the hat. She held onto the hat, and Columbo finds it suspicious that the wife, you know, didn't... Why were in her hat and suit in the apartment if she went directly from the airplane or airport to the apartment and interrupted a burglary? Where did those things go? So the suit turns out to have been, you know, put in the laundry basket and sent to the dry cleaners, as, as was the plan. But... Um, the hat yeah. is AWOL. And we should also note that Columbo uh, zeroes in on the fact... That uh, because he was because the doctor was boarding a plane, his luggage was weighed, and his luggage weighed nine pounds more when he left for his trip than when he came back, and that was because he was bringing some stuff from his apartment that he was pretending was stolen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he could have literally just thrown that in a dumpster, also. Yeah. Um. You could make a living, like, talking to aspiring murderers, workshopping their crimes with them. You know, if I came to you and said, you know, Anya, I'm planning to take this this luggage with me, with stolen goods, I'm going to throw it in the, the lake in Toronto, you'd say, no, Kevin, just throw it in a dumpster. Is that something you could see yourself doing? Especially in the 1960s. Like, you could just do whatever you wanted. Um, yeah, I think that would be great. I think it could be like a Moriarty kind of figure. Napoleon of crime just sitting around being a real support system for some of these guys who come in with their kind of half-baked ideas and really sort of like getting them to believe in themselves. I, I don't just I don't just help with the ideas. I help with the sort of core villain that these folks are trying to aspire to. Yeah, and that's what makes it worthwhile for me. 
It helps see them grow into what they want to be. It makes me Achieve really their dreams. Yeah, on their terms. Yeah. Makes me that, that's what a mentor is supposed to do. I'm like tearing up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty good at that. I'd be better at that than committing crimes because they'd definitely be like, I'm so, like, you know me. I can't leave the apartment. I'd be forgetting my phone at the murder scene. I'd be forgetting. I'd be picking stuff up. I'd be chewing on my nails. I'd be I'd be doing all this. You know, I, I would be, a, I'd be sweating. I mean, I would be a walking forensic, you know, mess in terms of covering something up. So I'd be a better crime consultant than criminal. Consultant of crime, Kane. Yeah. Hit me up. <laughs> Contact your via email, yeah. mystery to me at gmail.com. There you go. <laughs> For all your all inquiries kept strictly confidential. <laughs> For all your crime needs. <laughs> Not calling me would be a crime. But meanwhile, now uh, promising, uh, just as the psychologist is beginning to worry that Columbo's really on to him, a promising new lead emerges. Uh, the promising new lead is that a gentleman comes forward and confesses that he was the killer. They kept on calling him like the kid. And he was like, what, 50? He was like 50 <laughs> years old. I'm going to start calling you kid, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin Kid Greenlee. <laughs> He's like wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> he's a delinquent. He's a delinquent retiree. <laughs> and for some reason, the doctor gets to sit in on the interrogation. Yeah, just it, they do the interrogation of this elderly child in the the guys in at the murder scene, and the husband suspect is allowed to just chill and watch this, and he. Uh, he, he, you know, the, the kid ends up saying, the quote, kid in quotation marks here, ends up saying that, oh, well, I, I, I targeted them because I saw that they were leaving on vacation and I saw that uh, the initials on their bag and then I looked at what apartment had those initials and I went up there. I was like, okay. <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> Also, they never, I just want to explain, obviously this is not the person who did it. We know who did it. It's Columbo. The psychologist did it. But they never explain why this guy falsely confesses. I thought it was going to be that that was Columbo's friend or something, and they were trying to, like, put the screws on the doctor, kind of get him to slip up. But they just never explain it. This is just, like, some AARP guy <laughs> who goes around and falsely confesses to crimes. He's the an elderly Henry Lee Lucas. It, it's It's just completely completely out of nowhere and they don't explain it. I just found that very amusing. He's got a whole wrinkled face and they're like, listen, Sonny. It was bizarre. One of the many missteps in this unfortunate affair. <laughs> and um, the psychologist ends up poo-pooing this guy as a suspect saying he totally lied. And then, and then the psychologist gets like really upset with Columbo and he goes to his friend in the DA's office and asks him to get Columbo to uh, stop investigating him, which, you know, that doesn't look suspicious at all. Also, like some fucking DA. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like 
isn't it's always i mean it's almost always the spouse right and it, it, it was like this guy was acting like oh well you know we go to the same country club so it can't be him it's like how long have you been doing this what are you doing is that how the da's office works i mean like if you were friends with jeff bezos would he come to you and say, well, you know, honey, some of those other reporters are writing bad stories about me at BI. Can you talk to your editor and have them lay off? I'm not going to give any spoilers. I think a good, what seemed like a realistic depiction of, uh, of like how a DA's office would react if one of their own was mixed up in some sort of thing like this. Or like, you know, and that's one of their own. That's not even like a friend. That's one of their own. Was, um, was it Proven Innocent? What was the Turo book? Presumed Innocent. Presumed Innocent. That seemed realistic. Right. Where it's just like, ah, but like also like, you know, if we cover this up, this is going to be a mess. So right. that, th this seemed a little bit crazy and over the top. And what were we saying about Jeff Bezos? <laughs> I, was trying, I was so busy trying to think of the title. I was ignoring you. You were ignoring me? That was gold. Well, what, what did you say? Oh, lost no, no, history. you got to tell me. I said, if you were friends with Jeff Bezos. Okay. And he comes to you and says, Anya, another reporter at Business Insider is writing unflattering stories about me. Use your power to get them to stop. How would you and your Business Insider buddies handle that? We'd report on it. <laughs> exactly. I'd send the person a rude Slack message to get them to back off. <laughs> <laughs> or face your, the lash of your iron wit. Yeah, trade up my reporting my reporting pen and paper for a, a lucrative comms gig with the amazon team <laughs> jesus um yeah the da guy kept on wearing like the, a weird hat so i don't know what to make of that but well i assume it was a, he must be have a bald spot okay <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> where's your hat kevin Tomorrow I'm just gonna wake up and you're just gonna have a like a fedora on for the rest of your life. <laughs> no explanation. You'll always be wearing it. So yeah, so the DA does end up shaking Columbo down, and as he does this, we get treated to a close-up on of the actor. Look, looking like he's trying to eat his cigar. It was really strange. It's like a, maybe a man who never smoked a cigar before. But it was a little disturbing seeing him mouth the thing. It was a terrifying tableau. <laughs> Instead of getting off the case, Columbo uh, stays on the case and he, he asked for... Uh, somebody in the property room to give him a, a list of all the stuff that was missing from the apartment. And then he calls up the doctor and says, guess what? We found all your missing stuff. And here we are at the thrilling, thrilling climax of the episode. And and before we dive into that, how does, how does, how do things usually play out in the Peter Falk version of Columbo that everyone knows and loves in terms of like the climax and what's the formula? Uh, there's some sort of clever dialogue between Peter Falk and the bad guy, which involves uh, Peter Falk uh, 
uh, highlighting all of the flaws and mistakes that the criminal has made and kind of logically trapping them into being forced to admit their guilt. Yeah. And this was more it, more of a mess, because <laughs> you can probably assume. Tell us about it. If if uh, if the Peter Falk climaxes are like uh, like, you know, some sort of like intricately carved like trap that you know you walk into and it just springs shut. This was more of the equivalent of like jumping out of the bushes and hitting somebody with like silly spray and being like, "Got you in my net." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so the doctor comes and he says, "Oh yeah, my silverware was missing," and he starts looking at it. He says, "What well, this silverware looks like shit." <laughs> I can't imagine serving anybody on this silverware. And oh, look, it's monogram with a C. Why, this is your silverware, Columbo. You tacky piece of shit. The... What's funny about this is the, the Falk character is unflappable, basically. Yeah. This Columbo looks really pissed off that he insulted his silverware. Excuse me, that's my wife's. And then in front of, of the doctor, Columbo weighs all this stuff, which isn't even <laughs> still stuff. And he demonstrates that it weighs the exact same amount as the missing items from, missing weight from the luggage. Yeah. And then uh, Mrs. Hudson walks in and looks at all the stuff. He says, well, how'd you find it? And then she and the doctor both put their head in their hands. <laughs> Produced by Dick Wolf. See, I think a decent, <laughs> I think a decent um, defense attorney could have gotten that thrown out. What do you think? Yes, he wasn't even Mirandized. But also, this I think this was before the oh, Miranda this decision. Oh, pre-Miranda, right? They they could do whatever they want, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, but um, you know, yeah, it seems. I guess the whole premise of Columbo is kind of troubling because. He he has his suspects and he knows their suspects, but he never never Mirandizes them. Oh, oh, Columbo. When will you learn? <sighs> Why did you have to be so entertaining? Well, do you have any final thoughts? I, I'm just glad that this. <laughs> did you think it was all interesting to see char- the character, sort of like what it started as and where it where it got to? It was historically interesting as a fan of the show it was not interesting just as a television viewing experience on its own yeah i'd say without you know the without the historical context it's pretty pretty skippable pretty mediocre but it was fun to kind of be like ah we kind of they're gonna get better at this (laughs) (laughs) so my final thought on this is that enough rope may tie into columbo lore but it doesn't quite have enough charisma to reel in the viewer's attention. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore and at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. 
We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.